Welcome to the Blue Sky Podcast, Two Planks Lager and Spreadsheet. I'm Dave Gibson, and I'm here with my co-founder, John Dudgeon. Today, our special guest is Friends of the Stars, Jim Mortley. On this week's episode, we'll be chatting about how having a diverse network can help you progress in life and in your career. Learning about business from doing something you enjoy. And the wonderful Deacon Blue. So, Jim, Principal Advisor on Events and Culture with Newcastle City Centre, how on earth do you get a gig like that? <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, how deep do I go? Um, basically, it's a, it, it was, I mean, I've been doing it for three years now, it's Newcastle City Council. Um, and it was just, I suppose at the time, personally, there's, there's, I suppose there's two parts of it. The council had sort of amalgamated things as they do, budget cuts, etc. So they sort of moved, they had someone sort of working on events loosely and they had someone sort of looking after the culture portfolio and they sort of joined the two together. I mean, at the time, um, I was running Generator, um, uh, which was, you know, very exciting, very interesting. But I was also, when I got to like 50, I'm 56 now, when I got to 50, I was like, I'd been doing it for quite a long time and I was just thinking, you know, is this what I always do? Um, is there something else out there for me that would be really interesting, challenging? So I sort of made this decision, but I didn't want to, you know, I've got, I've, you know, considering my age, I've got two young, quite young kids because um, I started again. And I just didn't, obviously, didn't want to leave the region. I've been here since 84. I uh, didn't want to leave the region, didn't want to sort of take my kids anywhere. And I just thought if something really interesting, stroke, challenging, stroke, you know, and I feel that someone really wants me to come and shape shape a new program, shape something new and something fresh. Then that's that's the sort of thing for me. I know that sort of quite narrows the criteria down, yeah. especially <laughs> because like my background is you know very much you know um, very much music, and then with generator edging into the sort of creative digital sector really. So yeah, so it narrowed it down. But anyway, I was I was approached. I was approached by a, a cabinet member and a director of the council in the Clooney, funnily enough. I was having a pint with my eldest son and uh, uh, one of my best mates, a guy called Dave Stone. And um, they approached me and said, yes, we've just created this post and it's got you written all over it. We really want you to go for it. So there you go. I still went through the process, but got the gig. But, you know, it's 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 quite, it's a very interesting role. It's very varied. It is very challenging, not least, you know, the challenge I've had of getting used to the whys and the wherefores and, and the bureaucracy of the public sector, all the, the, the very tight procurement arrangements that they have, which are understandable. Um, and it does mean that once you put something through, no one can challenge you. Or if they do challenge you, you've got very, 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 very strong, robust evidence base behind you on why you've made the decision. And then obviously it's the political arena in that, you know, everything that you do, especially the the, the big stuff anyway, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you have political approval for it and that they actually like what you're doing and really support what you're doing. But apart from that, it, it's it's proven really good. It's proven really good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, so you mentioned the music background, that, that obviously is your background, um, particularly around the events uh, side of things. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Do, do a little bit of name dropping for us. <laughs> um, because because you're the most famous person I know. So. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't oh. any, I don't know any magici uh, magicians, oh, musicians. 
Yeah. Uh, brilliant. So yeah, my music, yeah. So basically, I came to Newcastle in 1984, and um, I came to Newcastle in 1984, and uh, to study uh, what a politics degree which was called local government and public policy. But really, what I wanted to do, I always wanted to sort of get involved in the live music scene. I was in a band when I was a kid, but it was shit. Do you know what I mean? So. But I still wanted to be involved, so I used to go to lots of gigs, and I, my eyes would wander from the band to like, I wonder what the magic is. I wonder what's making the magic happen. I wonder what's behind this all, because I think most people when they go and see a group, they don't think beyond that. They just see like the band or the act on the stage, and obviously, and you are supposed to be captivated by the performance and the music, especially if you're a big fan of what you're seeing. But I always wondered what was behind it, and I got involved when I was young, young in a in a sort of theatre group, and I got involved in the sort of um, uh, technical side of it. So PA and lights, really, you know, which is obviously an intrinsic part of any live music performance. So I learned, you know, how to set up a PA and learned a little bit about sound and learned a lot about lighting and and things like that in that process. So when I came to Newcastle, the first one of the first things I did was I was at the Poly, and th at that point they had sort of an emerging. Uh, uh, as did Newcastle, strong like, emerging live music scene. So I got a I got a gig basically working on the stage crew. Within within a year, I was running the security and running the stage crew at Newcastle Poly. Then I got cajoled into standing as ENTS officer, which I did, and that was like my apprenticeship. I did that for two years. The guy that um the guy that did it before me, who sort of showed had to show me the ropes on how to deal with agents, which is always fun. Uh, not. You know what I mean? I got to a stage in my career where I just started refusing to deal with them because they're all absolute bastards and they're all trying to have your life and they all want the earth um, on behalf of their artists. Um, so I did that, but that was great. So I started doing that when I was 20. And, uh, you know, the first band that I ever put on was like the Ramones. Um, did like oh, the nice. first two, the first first weekend. I did a, 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 a weekend of gigs and it was the Ramones on the Friday and the Damned on the Saturday. Um, so that was great, and I was do I did that for two years, but it was amazing. I did things like I put on like you know Womack and Womack, the Pixies, uh, the Ramones, Proclaimers, all sorts of like really sort of great big bands. Then and and the other thing I did at the time was I, I, I took a job at the Egypt Cottage, and the Egypt Cottage, what a lot of people might remember, was the pub that was next door to the Tube. But by the time I got that job, the Tube had sort of just about finished, and they started this other program called the Roxy. Yeah. which was supposed to be like a, a revival to top of the pops do you know what i mean so they they basically used to basically have all these uh, record company sort of executives marketing people and stuff like that and i'd be there behind the bar and go like oh, who have you signed then and who are you putting your money behind and so like one of the bands that I, one of the bands that i promoted a few times were were, were, a, were a band called deacon blue that a lot of people remember and the first time i put them on was like sold 300 tickets second time 600 third time 1400 uh, you know I, just I, sort I of I crashed my car, Jim, to Deacon Blue. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope it wasn't. I hope it wasn't. Hope it wasn't dignity was playing while you lost yours. <laughs> I'll rephrase it. I crashed my mum's car to Deacon Blue, so <laughs> just to make it even worse. Yeah. Brilliant. But it was. It, it, it was. It, what was really interesting about it, like one of the things that I really remember about those times, when people say to me things like, "Why are you putting on Deacon Blue?" And I'd be like, what do you mean? Why am I putting on Deacon Blue? And they go, well, it's not your music. And I went, I don't care. They sell tickets. <laughs> you know? And it's like, the only thing people realised that for me, you know, that was the thing. It was great. It was fantastic to be working into um, 
working in live music and promoting these bands, but it was also learning that it was a business and, you know, it, it predominantly, I saw this, there's a guy called John Proben until quite recently was like vice president of whatever at Live Nation in Europe. And I saw, I, I was at this conference and someone asked him, someone did this bit of grandstanding by asking him an extremely complicated question with obviously lots of background knowledge about Live Nation. And then said, so given all that, what are your future strategies? And he just sort of looked around the panel and looked at the audience and looked puzzled and went, we've only got one strategy, sell more tickets. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the bones of it. So from there, I just sort of like, I left there for a while and started my own company promoting bands badly managing bands, learning that management wasn't something I wanted to get into just because it was too demanding and you're dealing with lots of people demanding lots of things from you. It's really hard. Um, uh, and then and then um, I, I went back to the, 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 the guy that followed me at the uh, Newcastle Poly, which is now Northumbria University, destroyed all my good work and then ran away and sort of like, so they asked me to go back in. So I went back in, stabilized it for a while. And while I was doing that, I sort of, I was cajoled into joining Shindig. Um, so I joined Shindig in 1994. And the reason for that was, is that they just had a sort of split, an acrimonious split with the club where it was. They did a Thursday night at the time in a club called Bliss. They'd had an acrimonious split with the, the owners. Yeah. They wanted to change tactics and move and do a Saturday. They wanted to do a Saturday at a much bigger venue. So it was a big step up for them. And bizarrely, I just brokered a, an arrangement with, with the with the old Riverside, with the owners of the old Riverside and said, look, you know, these can these they they needed someone in. It was really on its on its, you know, Riverside's one of those legendary venues, but at that time it was literally on its arse, do you know what I mean? And yeah. So I brokered the arrangement and both parties wanted, for some reason, some stupid reason, wanted me involved. So I did that and that was great. You know, we were putting on DJs, you know, DJs like Deep Dish, you know, Pete Tong, Roger Sanchez, Danny Tenaglia, Masters at Work, you know, all those sort of big names, plus loads of others that came through, came through the ranks and had some amazing nights, amazing times with that. And we, we did. And while I was doing that, I started doing bigger events so like i wanted to do i wouldn't say i get bored but i just like a new challenge so like we started so we, we it was the, the gate said to just developed baltic square baltic wasn't even open and we sort of i approached them and said you know can we do an event here so we so that was my first sort of outdoor event three thousand capacity did that again that was really great it was brilliant um and around the same sort of time i was also working with these other guys on a sideline project um that uh they wanted to start a festival in newcastle and we'd done this thing on that in 1998 called uh radio uh bbc radio sound city which was the forerunner it's what bbc radio one used to do before they did the big weekend and they did it in newcastle and we were like we, a group of us went to the council who backed it and said we could do this if you give us some money to see it so we started that and that's what became evolution so evolution sort of you know very short story we grew into a thirty thousand capacity outdoor event on the quayside which we ran from 2003 till 2013 so that was really good never lost it any never lost any money but just ended up all the kids really really drunk and us getting lots and lots of stick for it off the various local the various authorities including the chief constable writing to me holding me personally responsible for it all 
um, which was fun. Um, yeah, and and then in between that time, so basically, obviously, with with evolution, you know, we were we were putting on really great acts, and really highlight for me was a guy called Dead Mouse, put put him on the key side, but you know, the other swords, the end, Paloma Faith. I mean, it was it was just brilliant. And one of the challenges with evolution was just this ridiculous thing that I don't know whether it was a grass is always greener thing. I've always found there's a, there's a, there's a grass is always green syndrome in Newcastle when I've been doing when I was doing shinding when I was doing gigs when I was doing evolution that if it's in Newcastle it can't be as good as something in Leeds or it's as good as good as something in Liverpool. And when we did evolution at first because we got lots of public funding when we started it we um it was conditional it was free and then when the funding so we knew that the fund was going to dry up so we employed the strategy of starting to charge and I think by the end of it I think the ticket price for two days was thirty five quid. And this was only like you got to remember ten years ago. Yeah, we, chips. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. And I remember Mike who used to do our marketing posted the other day. Ten years ago, I was promoting this lineup, and it had like you know Plan B and Dead Mouse and all these people on it. Do you know what I mean? It was thirty five quid for two days, and all I did for the first day of the marketing campaign was delete negative comments of like I'm not paying thirty five pound for this load of shit. And stuff like that. And we did. He just used to sit there on Facebook. And we used to get that many negative comments. And it was just like, he, and we just used to sit there in the pub afterwards after we'd launched it all going, why why are the people like this? Do you know what I mean? It's like it's 35 quid. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm going to see Peace K, for example, tomorrow night. It's costing me 75 quid a ticket. Do you know what I mean? That's to see one person standing with a microphone talking about himself. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously the the other thing was the generator thing, you know, the generator. I sort of joined generator around nineteen ninety eight, and it was like a, a sort of fledgling agency that was run by a group of well meaning people who were brilliant. Um, and they, um, yeah, they brought me in. I was just I was sort of doing shindig at the time, and we were just starting evil. Or we just starting to think about. I was doing the radio on Sound City gig. I did that with with BBC, which is great. Um, and I was just sort of like, you know, really interested in this generator opportunity because it was like at the time it was just about musicians and bands and people writing songs. It wasn't about the industry side. So when I got in there, I sort of like we, we still did, did the delivery and the support for the musicians and, and what have you. But then we also, also started like a few people who were ex uh, ex music industry, if you like. We started doing some sort of so we, first we did like, an, a, you know, a music industry awareness program. We did it with a guy called Russ Conway, not the pianist. Um, I always slip that in, but um, I, yeah, Russ, Russ did. Um, Russ was like sort of like an A and R guy for major labels. Do you know what I mean? Sound signed people like House of Love and Texas and stuff like that. And he was a Geordie, you know, he was from Newcastle. So I think he just basically got sick of the music industry, but then came back and we worked with him to produce a load of music industry talks with all his contacts, and then then we started a management training course with them. Um, uh, a guy who lives just around the corner from where your office is actually a guy called Damien Bartons who used to manage he was one of these guys who managed artists and you get them to major label we, status we, we, we know we know Damien yeah yeah so he'd get them to, now, yeah. at, the, at yeah. the time this was at the end of the 90s sort of like early 2000s and he'd get them to major label status but then never they never pushed on from there and I think he just sort of got but so he came back and we ran he ran management training courses with us and then eventually came into work with us before he went off to 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 do what he's doing now with transmit, um, yeah, he was part of what I call the golden age of generator. We had this 
amazing team doing some amazing stuff do you know what i mean and that grew and it grew and it basically grew the music side grew to sort of like national recognition for what we were doing and we were able to tap into european development funding because of the business side which also helped a lot of the musicians and a lot of the, a lot of the artists that we worked with you know and we've worked with you know we worked in the early days with people like uh maximo park we worked with quite a lot we did some stuff with you know towards the end of my tenure there we we've done some stuff with sam fender you know and lots of other people and uh, dean shah you know lots of other people that, that are sort of um from from the region that have, have gone on have gone on to succeed and have proper careers in the music industry so that was that was really interesting that was really interesting really good yeah so that was sort of like my music background. I didn't drop too many names there, though, did I? No, no, probably about the, the right number. Sam Fender, by the way, has made Blue Sky famous because uh, on on his Facebook page, there's a picture of our office. Oh, really? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Are you using yeah. the background? I, I, think, I, I, think, I think we're just accidentally in the background, but uh, <laughs> there we go. It, it, it is, it is uh, personal thank you, Jim. Uh, my first gig was at uh, Northumbria Uni as a fresh-faced 14-year-old. I went what to see... Uh, EMF. EMF? I can't remember yeah. if I did that one. I think I did actually. Yeah, I think you will have done it. It's around 1990, something like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll probably, have been then. probably yeah, involved. Yeah. So, so I don't yeah. know who your head of, head of security was then, but he was letting un, uh, 14 year old lads from Chesley Street in. <laughs> 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 the band was probably about the same age there, though, John, weren't they? So I, I said the band were probably about the same age there. Yeah, they probably were actually. Yeah, yeah. kids were they? Unbelievable. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I, I guess managing events like that, it's like you say, it's the business side, isn't it? And and these yeah. things don't just happen. It's like everything else that you don't really think of. There's always that. Um, I suppose that iceberg of stuff that happens under the surface to make to make everything go smoothly and if it doesn't all gel together then you know what a, what, what a pile of rubbish that could um yeah. turn out today so so that's that's cool festivals festivals are massively massively challenging especially like the sort of greenfield outdoor festival I mean, my, my festival was sort of like in, in the city urban festival mm. but still you know has everything that you need in place that you would have a greenfield festival apart from a campsite but when you look at those we always say like they're building a small village or a small town and you know, and 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 the costs are huge, and the margins are narrow. You know, mm. it's just it's 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 it, it, it's a funny game. I mean, part of what I did as well was um, coming out of the festival. I, I was a founder member of an, an organisation called Association of Independent Festivals, which I went on very proudly to chair for seven years. So I used to talk to all these guys, and I was like the chair through COVID and stuff like that. And like you know, they they you know, they were just obviously just they just they just couldn't trade even when the pubs were opening and you could have six to a table and all that. They still couldn't put events on. Do you know what I mean? And that just shows you the resilience and the determination of those sort of that independent group, those sorts of people. Because I don't think many of them actually ended up folding. You know, I still think they find it tough now, but they're still going and they're still pushing through. You know, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah it's it's i mean but, but, you know it's the business side balances with the fun side you know yeah i guess I think, um sorry jump after you i was gonna say jim um obviously you lived in the region since 1984 and you've got a real you've got a real passion for the northeast haven't you um and uh yeah I, i'm always inspired by that we we were at an event i think it was the re- launch of generator um last year and then we're talking about sort of the region's film and cinema scene as well and mm-hmm. and and i guess 
you know how many how many um how many jobs are involved in sort of putting a production on and i guess this is what we're talking about when you get behind the scenes of era suddenly there's an yeah. army of an army of people um and that linkage into sort of education was um a big discussion on the on the panel i know a lot of your life has, has spent talking about sort of young people and and how they yeah. can sort of come into into the creative industries as well could you explain a little bit more about that yeah i think yeah yeah obviously i'm very passionate about the region i mean yeah as you said i've lived here since 84 and as you can tell by my accent i'm from liverpool originally but um yeah i came here fell in love with the place and everything just on on that point firstly yeah is that i always feel that i've tried to do my best in my abilities to raise the profile of this region you yeah. know as in you know whether that be through doing events doing shindig doing what i'm doing now you know a lot of what i'm doing now at the council and developing you know i'm developing a cultural event for the city at the minute you know what i mean which you know will which which one of which main aims is to raise the pro raise the cultural profile of the city again um but i think in all of this it's like you know with all of this so for example using that for an example what we want to do with that cultural event now is that we want to create as many possibilities we can not just young people, but for residents to to either to 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 help design, develop, and implement that event, you know. And within that, you, all you're going to do with that is you're going to improve people's skills, you're going to improve people's life experience, you're going to improve people's well-being. And going back to the sort of business side of it, yeah, if you do like, even if you pick something like Evolution, you know, what I mean, we probably had 120, 140 security people working on that event, probably about 70, 80 bar staff, you know. So the, the, these they do they do create a lot of that, but I think in creative industries across the board, I think it's it's, it's I think it's a huge challenge in terms of workforce development and in, and, and in terms of access for young people, and I think there's two key reasons to that. I think it, it's still a struggle to be able to um, it's still a struggle for kids to learn about creative industries at school. You know, it's sort of an area that, that that's shunned. It's not seen as, a, you know, it's not seen as something. I mean, my, I'm, you know, I referred to it before, like I've got two young kids, you know, my boy's 11 and I'm, I'm really, really pleased that he actually does coding once a week, you know, because like, it's just really, really important. So it seems from my understanding of my own life experience now that they're actually starting to do that, but I'm not even sure how much it's embedded in the curriculum rather than schools thinking, you know, this is something we should teach because obviously it's going to be something that, that's going to be extremely valuable in the future. But in terms of, you know, what I did, music, music doesn't appear on curriculums hardly anymore, let alone, you know, the insight into it. So, so one of the great thing about Generator that I was really proud of, and the thing I used to say that differentiated, it was like basically, and I borrowed, I borrowed this phrase from a guy that I met very early on in my career at Generator. He was running a similar sort of organization in Shenfield. When he said to this guy at the Prince's Trust, we're not here to teach Timmy to tap the tambourine, you know, we're here to teach Timmy how he can make money from tapping the tambourine, mm. you know, and that's the thing. And it's like, it's like when you see people in bands, I made this reference yesterday, you see great guitar players, they're absolutely amazing. And they might be like 16, 17, and they're amazing guitar players. But if they don't understand the money's in publishing, then unless, you know, they're in a band, it's all about how you write the music and write the songs. And then there's all that business about that. So what we did with Generator, not just in music, but with, with creative industry, with the wider creative industries, is that we tried to formulate as many programs as we possibly could so people could 
learn how to work within the within the creative industries and learn what the creative industries and what the music industry and what the digital sector wanted from you as as as, as a prospective employee so we used to do like digital boot camps for example and those digital boot camps were, were all about so you were taking people who were graduates a lot of the time who'd been taught in a certain way and 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 taught in a certain way to to, to have careers in you know in tech but had never really worked in teams before or never really or hadn't really gained any understanding about what it was like to, to actually go into one of these places and work in an agile way, for example, you know, work in a scrum exactly and, and things like that, you know. So we always try to do that because I think it's really important. I think there's some great employers now, you know, in the last five, six, seven years doing that and doing it really brilliantly. Um, but like, and, but there's still a, a real demand there from some of the smaller companies, you know, so some of the SMEs that, were, that, that we worked with, some of the, that, that when they're getting people in, it's really difficult for them to find. They quite often want people who've got lots and lots of experience, which are really, really expensive. And I think it seems to me that what we try to do with Generator is encourage the companies to take on people um, at an earlier age and sort of bring them through. And um, one of the things, one of the, one of the, I don't know why I did it. There was we, 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 did, we, I got a group of um, digital union members at the time into a room, and said to them, "What's missing? You might have even been there, John. What's missing?" And they, they said, "Oh, there's no sort of degree apprenticeship in creative digital design." So we then set about writing one, and it took three years. And sometimes people say to me, as people talk about degree apprenticeships and start explaining, and I said, "Can I stop you there, please?" I've been wrote one. I wrote one. Of them. <laughs> like what? How did you do that? And I went, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, it's out there, and there's lots of people delivering it now. But it was so. It's all. It's just really important. And I think the the key thing is, it's it's really challenging to get access to the creative industries in general, and then on having an understanding of what the, what it entails and what's needed is is not there across the board i think it's improving but i don't think you know so we we felt a generator that that was something we really wanted to focus on cool yeah i think um the, the university's education in general um is is a massive oil tanker and if you want to change sometimes if you set off on a degree with a, a fairly fixed course by the time you come out of it three years down the line the world's moved on yeah, um, a lot of the time, and and you know, my thoughts are always that um, education, especially these days, as the rate of change just gets faster and faster, it should be about um, there should be a lot in the softer skills, but there should be about um, you know, anticipating change, um, being open to change, and helping to drive change. So yeah. uh, just 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 you know, not you know, here's a technical skill set, and and off you go, because there'll be a job there for you at the end of it. Well, like it's not like that anymore. Yeah, uh, these days. So yeah. Um, yeah, a, a big challenge, big challenge for the education sector, absolutely, to uh, to, to get their heads around that. I challenge you, education sector, get it sorted out. There you go, that'll get it sorted. Um, so, um, what kind of activities um, do you see um, around the Newcastle area from a, an event um, point of view? What uh, what might you be working on that you can that you can tell us about? Um. What can I tell you? So, so basically, as I referred to before, of like one of the things I really wanted to do <clears throat> when I came into this role was develop like a significant cultural festival um, for the city. And sometimes people like sort of go, well, what what does that mean? And it's just it's basically it's something it, it's something that I hope eventually will grow and it will evolve like not just the culture sector, but it will evolve communities as well as evolve people driving forward. It's like involves 
it's 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 the way it's shaping up it's multi-genre you know as in so it could be a commission of a new piece of music in a venue or it could be something that we're working on at the minute which is um which is um we're working on the pilot this year and we want like sort of four or five or six whatever cultural interventions to happen so that people can either get really involved with them in the design development implementation like i mentioned before or they can just come along and see them in progress and see the finished article so we, we it's not, so, sort of not public knowledge but it's not something that we're, we're holding we're working at the minute with a guy called olivia we, we, we brought in this organization called curated place one of whose creative producers is based in newcastle which is great One's in Ireland, one's in Manchester. They're sort of a collective. Um, they're brilliant, and they're 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 coming to they're coming in. And then um, the first thing they proposed was we should do it out of the city centre because it's a council. Sorry, city council because it's a city council project. So they've identified spaces in and outside the the sort of civic centre. So that's really exciting for me because they're spaces that you won't have seen this sort of activity in before. So we've got like a music. We like we're looking to develop an AV program in the actual council chamber. And I don't know if you've, either of you have ever been in the council chamber. It's very Kubrick-esque, as I describe <laughs> it. It's like, um, you know, those James Bond films when they're all got headphones on like you guys have. Yeah. And they're listening <laughs> to interpretations. It's like that. It's still got like a red button and a green button for voting and things like that. You know, Class. it's just a, it's it is proper out the 60s and being maintained and preserved. And it's absolutely amazing. So we're looking at doing a little AV program, but then range into this thing. <coughs> excuse me, range into this thing. Um, called Monumental that, that that is so it's brought together by a guy called Olivier Giroset and basically what he does was he, he he constructs with a lot of people participating and as I say in the design and the build huge huge cardboard structures so we're going to be building a big huge pavilion outside of that and then we're going to program we're programming the pavilion for a couple of days in the summer so this is like the tester pilot event so that's really exciting and the idea is that we might we you know we, we, we spill out so we're already having conversations with the university in Newcastle and conversations with the, the town and we have museums. We're having conversations with with loads of people across the cultural sector to see how we can get involved and build this over the next few years. And the most amazing thing about it is that everybody that we've spoken to is like, yes, this is what the city needs. We're really invested in it. We really want to work with you to make it make it happen. Um, and then you know, so we're talking. So we're talking to the museums about what we can do, maybe at the great, great, um, the Great North Museum. But in in particular, because like one of the things I've always said about Newcastle is it's overdeveloped. So it's a very close, small city, and we've got great parks on the fringes, but in the city centre, there's not many spaces where you can actually sort of do things. Do you know what I mean? Because like there's the they just they just we just don't have those spaces. Um, so we're just exploring different spaces. So for year two, we're exploring what we might do outside the, the, the University Student Union and what we might do outside the Great North Museum and what we might do inside some of these buildings as well. And then hopefully it'll spread and spread and spread. That's the, that's the sort of game plan, if you like. So I've been working on that. Another reason I wanted to come to the, um, I was interested in this role was to, um, to get involved in sports events. I've never been involved in sports events. So I've been working on a bid with the FA to uh, make Newcastle, it's quite long-winded this. So it's basically a bid for Newcastle to be a host city as part of the FA's bid for the UK and Ireland to host Euro, the Euros in 28. So the process is like, the FA want to put a bid together 
but they want they have a certain amount of cities with stadiums that they need to be part of that where they can play games. And because it's like UK and Ireland, that narrows it right down. It makes it even more competitive because if it was in England, they'd have 10 stadiums across England. But because it's UK and Ireland, they're only looking for four stadiums in England because obviously they're going to include Cardiff, they're going to include Murrayfield and Hamden probably. I'm not sure for definite. They need one in Ireland, they want one in Northern Ireland. Do you know what I mean? So it sort of narrows it. And obviously Wembley's got to be one. So we've been working with quite close. So we find out it's it goes public on April the 12th, whether we've made the grade. Um, and obviously I'm hopeful. It's been a lot of work. I've been working on that since last April. Um, so that's sort of quite big. You know, we had the Rugby League World Cup just gone as well. So we're still, you know, and I'm developing more of a strategy to how we can bring more of these events to the city, really. Um, so they're the sort of sort of the sort of big things I've been working on recently. Um, all very exciting projects and you know, it's it's great. And then and then the other side of it, the other side of it on the event side of it is that we're trying to work with like so I've just got this ambition that the city has two significant music festivals one maybe to be in dance music and one maybe being more of a sort of you know live music sort of bands orientated type festival and you know the ambition is to develop those with indigenous promoters so we've been working quite closely with loose fest where we can for example to try and make sure that they a you know they launched last year in the city and then they're stabilized we're working um we're working to see we're working in the background to see what the future of this is tomorrow is uh, in terms of that coming back, um, and 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 then there's various other there's various other projects that we're working on. We obviously support the parks and work with the parks to try and develop a festival and events program with those guys. So, and that's it. You know, I've, you know, my, I want to see those sort of big events happening in the city. You know, from my career in that side of things, I've got lots and lots of contacts, and I'd be a liar if I said I didn't have people knocking on the door wanting to do things. But my preference is to develop, goes back to what we were just talking about before, to give the opportunity for indigenous promoters, if you like, to be able to develop those festivals for the city. Um, alongside your day job, you're involved in a bar stroke event space down on the North Shields Fish Key as well. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I've never yeah. been there. I've never John's been there, always yeah. in there. That's where I was seeing drunk. Yeah, John, yeah. John's house. Yeah, yeah. He's a very valued customer. I, I should say. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm, it's, I'm it's, a promoter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, thanks, John. Um, yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. I mean, like the prop the 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 problem and 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 the problem and excitement in my work and life is, uh, I always have fingers in pies, and then. Um, and it's a problem because it just means I work too much, far too much. But it's it's a joy because it just means that my my life's still involved very much at various levels of, of music and entertainment and culture, um, which is always exciting. So I was approached. So I've got um, a couple of pals who who um, one of whom I met, one of whom was a guy called John Fairs, and I met him when I was doing a gig before I even started promoting it, Newcastle Poly. And he came in and he was he was he was tour managing this um a local lad called Andy Pollack, um, who's a sort of singer-songwriter who, who got a deal with, I think it might have been Fontana or someone like that. You know, so we had a major label deal. Uh didn't quite um didn't quite break. But I met John then and always maintained a contact with him. Always sort of at one point we in the early two thousands, I think it was, we looked and scoped about we made a proposal to 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 Sunderland 
about doing a festival there and didn't happen. Uh, more recently, about four or five years ago, him and I, with another guy called Paul Ludford, who's an interesting guy, Paul works out of Stocksfield. He's just retired. He had a company um, called um, um, I forgot what it was called now. I'd, um, APL events. That was it. Anita and Paul Ludford events. And what was really and then and then basically the the only two other employees of the company were their son and daughter. And Paul at once. So what they used to do is festival sites and festival site direction and stuff like that. So at one point Paul was like the the, the site manager and licensee for Glastonbury for about three years, and he did like festival. His son Phil still does cream fields and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And they're all sort of big. His son's moved up up to Scotland recently, but until about a year ago he was just living in Gosford, you know. But they're doing all these major festivals all over the place, you know. Um and um. And uh, the, the three of us got together and we raised about half a million pounds to produce a festival in Northumberland. We found a site, we had a site nailed, we had everything nailed and then, I won't bore you with the detail, but you, you might remember this when this guy came along and said, I'm going to do this festival on the wall and it's going to be as big as Glastonbury and da 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 da, -da. And he'd never even booked a band in his life, do you know what I mean? Um, but because that sort of, you know, this is the problem and sometimes, we, and this is the problem sometimes with this region, is people come forward with these ideas, get lots and lots of publicity and then they fall over. And in my experience, it's the third time that someone said, I'm going to do a major, major, major festival. And then, you know, some people have bought tickets and then it falls over. You know, they're inevitably owing lots of people money and also, you know, people not getting the money back for the tickets and stuff. So it just, at that time, it was just like, we can't go forward because there's no confidence in the market because people will just be like, is this? So anyway, so John, John, um, one of John's pals is a guy called Barney or Simon Miller, Barney, we call him. And he, uh, him and John bought a building on the on the Fishkey and they got me in and said, what should we do? And I said, why don't we just turn it into an event space, do craft beer and street food events and stuff like that. And at first it was just like, oh, you know, we can do this, we can do that. And then Environmental Health got wind of it because we had to apply for a license and they came and went, oh, you need all this and you need all that and you need extraction and ventilation and da, da, da. And in the end, we ended up like we thought we were going to put in about 30 grand between us. You know what I mean? In the end, it became a lot more expensive than that. And now it, it's it's now it's up and running, and we we're still testing the water with it. Really, we're still experimenting. So we do all sorts of different things. We've done gigs in there. We've had the future heads on in there. We had Hector Gannett, who's a sort of local star in in uh, the coast, a uh, great band. Um, we've had we did some with Northside Art Council, one of their festivals. We did uh, DJ Yo there, and we did. Um, uh, we've done some other bits and pieces with them, and then we do. We did. I've done a beer festival a couple of times. All pints east. My brother-in-law lent me the. We took, took, used to call it all pints east. That'd be great. Um, still waiting for. Eight, I'm still waiting. For, I'm still waiting for the email to tell me to cease and desist from all pints east. But uh, maybe maybe <laughs> by, by, maybe by drawing attention. So that like I've drawn it in this podcast. I've drawn some attention. But um, <laughs> um, you know, and we do we do so we still do like themed food events and stuff like that and uh, yeah it's gone quite well it's gone quite well it's quite enjoyable got a good little team down there sort of pretty much running it um just brought in a guy got a manager like a floor manager who's great very dedicated and then i've just brought in a guy recently a young guy to help with the events to get more events in there and develop more events and and we've also you know done things like we've had quite a few people as well we were surprised by how many people sort of started saying can we have our wedding there and stuff like that so we hire it out for weddings and private parties and we've just brought in but we don't know how to do weddings and there's an art to it so we've just brought in someone to train some of the staff to 
to sort of you know to plan weddings properly and that so yeah it's quite exciting you know there's a challenge with it the challenge with it is like if you know what agent the change in planning is which is basically you know in short if i can sum it up in short is if you're a music venue and someone comes along and develops a block of flats and starts complaining about you then really in the planning process the planner should have said hang on a minute no if you want to build your block of flats there you've got to make sure that your tenants or your you know whoever you sell them to are protected from the noise so it's to protect long standing but with it's the flip where the agent have changed so there was already flats there it was just a factory we've converted it and so we have ongoing sort of issues like we can only close till 11 and we thought that was going to be to the detriment to us but we've realized that there's a market for people who would rather come out at seven o'clock and go home at 11 rather than you know, I walked past Digital Nightclub in I, town the other week I'm after not, the basketball. I'm not one of those, Jim. I'm not one of those. But no. you would rather you would rather go out to ten o'clock and come home, stagger home at four in the morning, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Go out at seven and come home at four in the morning. <laughs> I, I, I'd rather go out at yeah, two yeah. in the afternoon and come home at seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think that's the thing. I mean, quite often oh, when, we do the food, when we do the food, when we do the when we do the the food and beer events and that, the very the you know the hugely popular, but quite often the venues are you know. A quarter, you know, a quarter empty, quarter full, quarter empty, yeah. quarter full. By nine, half nine, people don't stay out late, True. but that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. But yeah, it's great, it's just flexible, and it's just like it's it's great having a sort of canvas where you can do what you want, and you know, and also again, if people want to do shows there, we're we're, we're there to help them try and put the shows together as well. If they're sort of, if it's something that they've not done before, so yeah, it's good. Okay, what does uh, Jim do in his spare time? It doesn't have any. <laughs> I spend I spend I try and spend as much time with I've got like two young kids they're like um uh eight and eleven so I spend quite a bit of time with them um and then I've got an elder I've got an older one who's 26 so I, I go to football with him but uh I was funny I bumped into about four or five people at Wembley who were like what are you doing here <laughs> um when I was there and I thought well you know to be fair I've like had a season ticket for 18 years and I've been going to all the matches and going to all the cup matches at home I think you know after all that time I'm probably more deserving of the ticket than you are really do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know yeah. confessions I do support Liverpool like they are still my first and foremost as I always say to people I support Liverpool unless they're playing I support Newcastle unless they're playing Liverpool yeah. and my son supports Liverpool unless they're playing Newcastle so yeah. it's a good yeah. balance there yeah just, just um, to confirm, we're, we're recording this not very long after Liverpool did all right against Man United. Yeah, 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 they did. Yeah, yeah. I'm still buzzing about it. I was, I was in, a, I was in an event with someone yesterday, which the councillor I know supports Liverpool, and he said it was all I could do was stop myself from watching the highlights yet again during the lunch <laughs> break the other day. <laughs> and it's great because sometimes it's, you know it's just brilliant because so many people who I know who are big Newcastle fans have gone he just said to me like it was well it was great to see Newcastle I'm sorry Man United get an absolute kick in <laughs> so yeah it was brilliant it was unbelievable I just couldn't believe what I was watching do you know what I mean yeah, it was classic. Um, and then obviously yeah and obviously yeah I do I still do I still try and do like quite a lot of cultural stuff as well when I can theatre cinema mm. um Still do that quite a bit and you know just and then apart from that drink beer drink you know <laughs> quality craft beer you've got to make sure you know what you're selling yeah <laughs> and that's the thing about the beauty of the salt market is we're not tied to anyone so we can sell what beer we want do you know what yeah. i mean so we've literally i've just literally sent a text to uh chris who's our general manager who orders all the beer and saying can you get a keg of wild amargonaut before they sell out because it's absolutely banging <laughs> <laughs> Just so I can go in there that next weekend and have a couple, yeah. do you know what I mean? 
So, so the absolute advice today is if you're in, if you're in North Shields, get yourself down the salt house. Salt yeah, salt market. market. Yeah. Salt market. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Time's moving on, Jim. Have we got any last words of wisdom for our audience? Last words of wisdom. Yeah. Stick at it. <laughs> I suppose, like, throughout my career, I've just sort of, like, always, you know, I've been really, really fortunate to have, like, you know, what is now, God, 30-odd year career, 36, 36, year, 36 years ago since I put my first gig on in, in creative industries and in music events, Generator, working with all the great people that I worked with when I was doing, run, when we were running Digital Union at Generator, including your good selves and, you know, it's just, you know, I've just, I just think just stick at it, stick at it. And the other thing is try and keep your networks as wide as possible. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, and I think it's important to find people within those networks or beyond those networks who can give you the good advice that a increases the value in what you're doing, whether that be financially or in terms of meaning. And also, you know, that, that can, that can, you know, give you the sort of, but sometimes to keep going when the times are tough, you know. That's brilliant, uh, Jim. Uh, I think you know you've obviously had a massive impact in a positive way on uh, on the creative uh, community around here in the North East, and long may that continue. Thank you very so, much. Thanks very much, Jim. Yeah. Thanks for your time, well, Jim. It's brilliant. That. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.